Well, good afternoon, everyone. This is Jim Conley, the Executive Marketing Manager for Anatomy and Physiology here at McGraw-Hill Education. And as I like to always say, I am so happy to be here with you guys today. And today is for a special reason. And you guys all know, every single one of my guests is special. But the guy I have on the show today is really amazing. So today I have Bill Hoover, who is an instructor, professor out at Bunker Hill Community College. He is a close personal friend. He's someone that has authored for us in the past on the Saladin brands, and he's done a lot of um, digital work in terms of the authorship side here at McGraw-Hill. He has done a ton of consulting, but then Bill's really, like his expertise has always been about digital pedagogy, and then some of the research that he's done to really validate how students learn. And I was talking to Bill just through email and, and text messages about some things that he's doing, some best practices that we really wanted to share with the world. So. That's why we have Bill here today, and also I'll make mention, too, that Bill is a big Ohio State Buckeye fan, and as you guys all know, I'm a big <laughs> Iowa, Iowa Hawkeye fan, but you know what? We put those things aside as we talk about these things that are so important about students learning, teachers teaching better, and Bill, I just want to welcome you with open arms to the show. It's good to hear your voice again. Thank you very much, Jim. It's a pleasure to be a part of this podcast, and uh, I, I look forward to having many more conversations in the future. Yeah, it'll be great. So let's cut right to it, Bill. I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I think this is more for, like, the purposes of some of the audience members that may not know you as well yet. But how long have you been teaching um, human anatomy and physiology? Jim, I've been teaching human anatomy and physiology about 15 years. Um, I've taught at the community college level, the two-year um, private, uh, four-year private, and four-year state schools. So I kind of have a, you know, a good knowledge base of, you know, how each of those demographics function, you know, in the classroom. That's awesome. And whenever I've presented, uh, like, what you do in terms of consulting or teaching, you know, I've always billed you as someone who's a master teacher in terms of what you do. So with that kind of a title, one thing that's really interesting for me to ask you about is what excites you the most about teaching? You know, one one thing that really excites me was something that used to be sort of the bane of my existence as an instructor, and that was trying to find a way to help those students at the bottom one-third of my grade book. You know, trying to show them how to become better students, you know, empowering them to take control of their lives. You know, because too often those students feel like they're incapable and, um, and they believe life dictates to them where they're going to end up, you know, instead of the other way around. You know, when I reach those students, you know, that really means a lot to me because they quickly realize that they are in control of their future and not, you know, life impacting them. You know, it puts them in the driver's seat for the very first time. Okay, so if you were going to think back on your career and when you first started out, what interests you the most in getting involved in some of the digital, excuse me, digital teaching tools that are out there? You know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, I've always loved teaching and I have a passion for it. And I think any really good, you know, uh, instructor is, you know, a little bit of a showman or showwoman, you know, where they try really hard to, you know, uh, reach their students. But, you know, what I was finding is that, you know, in the, in the print age, you know, it was really difficult to get the students engaged outside of the classroom. You know, so whenever I started seeing the impact that digital had, and it was, you know, watching how much more engaged the students became whenever they were able to interact with the material, you know, rather than letting it passively, you know, be delivered to them. You know, it, 
it quickly became an active learning process for them. You know, and students actually did their work. You know, and they, you know, in talking with them, they actually felt like they were getting something out of the assignments, you know, rather than, you know, just having a means to the end. They thought it was more of an investment, you know, in their knowledge base. Got it. And I know that you've been using Connect, um, whether it be, you know, authoring some of the content, but then as a user since 2009. So if you were to say to somebody brand new, like, what is your favorite aspect of Connect? You know, my favorite aspect of Connect has to be the, you know, the Learn Smart slash Smartbook Learning Suites, you know, tools. Um, you know, it, for me and my students, it sort of is a one-stop shop. You know, number one, they learn how to read effectively, you know, because everything is, you know, pre-highlighted based on Bloom's, you know, and understanding, you know, foundational content first. Number two, they're able to identify what they struggle with whenever they go through the practice aspect of it. You know, and again, that's the stuff that they would normally hit like a speed bump at 50 miles an hour like my wife does in our car. Um, but then, you know, the third part is that, you know, they learn what they don't understand, you know, very well. I mean, they they have, you know, um, in the margins there's remediation that's built into it that's based on a heat map that instead of running to YouTube or Wikipedia and looking stuff up, you know, they have subject matter experts who have, you know, brought the content down to their level you know, so that they can understand it in a different way than just the written format. So it might be a video tutorial, a learning animation, a drag and drop activity. But again, it was brought down to their level because, you know, you and I both know, you know, PhDs write these books, PhDs peer review these books, but, you know, the students that we teach, you know, often read it at eighth or ninth grade level. So, you know, that one-stop shop really does keep them in one place and preventing them from getting lost in so many other directions. Oh, that's great. And then I know you've also been using Anatomy and Physiology Revealed. So if you were going to talk about that particular software and one of your favorite features about that, what would you say would be a good one there? You know, I would say that, you know, it's, it's, it's a pairing of two things. One is, you know, being able to identify, quote, unquote, my structures, meaning, you know, there's, there's a plethora of, you know, content inside of you know, an anatomy and physiology revealed software. Why? Because you have to cover everything because some students use it for medical school, some students use it for respiratory therapy, nursing, and et cetera. So, you know, I have to tailor it to just what my students need to learn for those particular courses. So, you know, being able to go in there and customize and choose just the structures that I know they absolutely positively are gonna be tested on in their board exams, that's number one. But if you pair that with the ability to force the students to show competency. And what I mean by that is you have a quizzing feature in there where they can create a practice quiz. And the beauty of it is that they are only being quizzed over the my structures choices that I made, you know, before the semester started. So if I'm leading either, you know, online or face-to-face, -face, you know, a virtual dissection, each time we pause, let's say we cover, you know, the uh, muscles of the lower extremity, then the students are forced to go in and do a practice quiz, each one of them individually, instead of one student doing all of the work while the other three stand around and watch or, you know, um, check their Facebook status. You know, the students are forced to go in there and do a practice quiz with an 80% or higher and then save it. And when it saves, because they had to log in using their, you know, Connect ID and password, it will have their name and information at the top of that document. So they save it as a PDF, it goes into a folder, and at the end of the semester, they give me 
you know, that, that folder with all of the proof that they have done those dissections. And, you know, when we're looking at competency-based learning, and especially for online, we have to prove that our students have actually done this work. You know, anatomy and physiology really does solve that major problem that we've never been able to solve before. Yeah, that's one of my favorite features as well. And I remember when we were going through the development on that, it was really tricky to hook a database up to the cadaver dissection software and all the many different elements. But it's encouraging to hear, you know, your best practice of not only using that, customizing the product, but then later having that ripple through to the quizzing feature and then really asking the students to get an 80% or higher on those practice quizzes. That's really remarkable. And, uh, you know, Kudos uh, to you for doing that. So one of the other things that you've talked to me about a lot, and you know, I could have, I think you probably remember, I was like, Bill, I gotta get you on the show, I gotta get you on the show. And there are literally a thousand things that we could have you on the show about, but what I really wanted to zero in on for today that I thought might help people is you've been doing you know, so much in terms of best practices, but you've also been researching on how to improve learning outcomes for your students. And you recently were talking to me about the whole aspect of the most missed questions report. So if you can share yep. with the audience what you've been doing and then how that might help others. Absolutely. Um, this, this actually, I stumbled upon this by accident, sort of. Um, as I mentioned, you know, to you in many conversations, you know, I've done a lot of digital pedagogical research, you know, and so what we did is we we had some software that, you know, the students wore one of those, uh, you know, Sony um, glasses and they were, they were reading a passage, you know, it was probably about um, five paragraphs long and it was difficult concepts, you know, physiological concepts and it was, they were reading it for the first time and we asked them to read it four or five times. Well, as we tracked their eye movements, they would, uh, the first time they read every single line, you know, one for one. But then when they went through the second and the third time, we noticed that their eyes were lingering over certain parts of the passage and then, you know, flying over other parts of the passage. And really what that did was confirm that whenever students study, they have this comfort zone or so, sort of like comfort food in a sense. They, they tend to focus and spend all of their efforts reviewing the stuff that they know really well because it makes them feel good and it makes them think that they're going to do really well on the test. But unfortunately, you know, in big summative type assessments, you know, like a midterm or a final, you know, that doesn't work very well. That's the student who's going to come in and say, boy, you know, professor, I'm going to crush this test. And then they come out with a C minus and they can't understand why because they feel like, and they did put in all of this time. And it really came down to that one piece of information that said, did you study the stuff that you did not know well? And if you didn't know it well, that was stuff that maybe you should have went to a tutor. You should have come to office hours. You should have come you know, to do something to improve, you know, your performance, you know, over that material. And so, you know, that missed questions report really does, you know, help those students focus on that. You know, so basically what I did is I started saying, I'm going to give extra credit only if you clean out your missed questions report, you know, for every single chapter. You know, and so whenever they started doing that, I started seeing those students at the bottom of my grade book doing you know, so much better because, you know, they're the ones who struggle with even, the, you know, simpler content. So whenever they would go in and clean out those missed questions, you know, lots of times they would go back to the book and review that material. Um, it really did help them prepare better for their summative assessments. 
Boy, there's so much there. So I was thinking about some of the conversations that we've had, you know, over the years about building student confidence. And yep. what's interesting about that is, you know, you could look at it one of two ways. You could say, hey, they're spending time on things that they know, but you and I know real well for them to survive this course, they've got to shore up those knowledge gaps. That's right. Or they're, they're really exactly just not right. going to make it. No, that, that that's I mean, then that really is the key to it, right? I mean, we are supposed to teach to learning outcomes. And if we teach to learning outcomes and students aren't, you know, um, learning some of those learning outcomes, it becomes like the Jenga game. You know, you start pulling out learning outcomes that they don't know, and soon their whole entire knowledge base collapses. So that missed questions report really does help them identify those, um, you know, those learning gaps that they have, you know, for those learning outcomes. Now, not only does the student have the ability to do that, Jim, but we as the instructors also get a missed questions report. And I take about the first 15 minutes of each class to go over that material. And the beauty of that is that, you know, students who are sitting in the class look around at each other and say, oh my goodness, I thought I was the only one who missed that question. Or, you know, I didn't think I was smart enough to be in this class because I thought everybody else, you know, got it on the first try. But whenever they see that, boy, you know, the entire class is struggling with this, they say, oh, that's awesome. You know, at least I'm not the only one, but even more so, I've had students come up to me after class saying, you know, not only did I feel good knowing that I wasn't the only one, but it made me feel even better that you were able to identify it and then go over it in class instead of letting us go to the big exam and not know what, we're, you know, what, we're, what we have studied. Yeah, and what's fascinating, I'm thinking a lot about there's a story that we had on our MHE happiness. Um, story generator that we have where students can give their account of how well they like Connect. And so a couple years ago when we first launched this bill, I got a story in and the young lady in question, her name is Amber, and I'm reading her story and initially I was like, this is too good to be true. So what she said was in the first two weeks of the term she was getting a 60, in the 60s anyway, and she was getting a D in the course. And then by the time, and I'll use her words here, I figured out the bells and whistles of Connect, mm -hmm. then I turned yep. it into a B later. And so I had a brief conversation with her over email, and I found out that the one thing that really um, triggered her learning and it really accelerated it was the fact that she could go into SmartBook and get that most missed uh, questions report. And then what yep. she did, she said she went into her office hours with the professor, and instead of saying, I don't know anything about osmosis or I'm lost on this section, she would literally just pull up the report and say, here's what I'm struggling with then can yes. you help me really learn this better? And I was yeah. sitting there like, oh my goodness, it is really that simple, but yet it really isn't. Yeah, and I mean, and that's the beauty of that report, having it both on the, on the student side, which is much more granular, you know, for each individual student, because, you know, the adaptiveness of the software identifies, you know, an individualized learning path for each student. Everyone has different learning gaps, so they will get their own individual report, which like you just described, that can help that student come right to an office hour and get the individualized, personalized attention that they need. However, for the most bang for your buck, I mean, if you're teaching 225 students, like, you know, I've done at Boston College, then you're looking at a situation where you don't have that time. You know, maybe your TAs do, but you don't. But you still get the most bang for the buck because you're getting about, you know, 75 to 85% of the students, you know, learning gaps being identified and you're covering them, you know, during the lecture. So you kind of get the best of both worlds with that report. Yeah, it's great. And one thing I was referring to when I said it's not uh, that simple or not that easy sometimes, 
what the student had said is it would be great if you could you know, really give us better tools to find those reports. So one of the things, and I know you know this real well, Bill, we actually have some videos that will be students walking you through the many reports you have in SmartBook, but the one that we're talking about, the most missed questions report, we have a student talking about how he uses that himself. And that's something as an instructor you can assign in any of our Connect titles, especially in anatomy and physiology. And you can make sure that your students really know where that feature is and they can get the benefit from it. You know, Jim, so, you just hit on something that made me so happy because I started assigning that to my students. And to be quite honest, my, my email box is, you know, a lot less full because those were questions. They said, oh, you went over this on the first day of class or before the first test, but I couldn't remember what you said. You know, having that video right there inside of Connect that the students can watch 24-7 even if they're working the night shift, it was awesome because it, once again, kept my email box a lot cleaner. That's I love hearing that because really Amber, and this is a public thank you for you know your feedback to us, but that really made us get better. And I think that's one thing that you know you do real well, Bill, and then we do the best we can here at McGraw Hill. Really like learning and listening to our users, understand how they're using the software and how we can make it better. And just that one little change, I'm glad to hear that that really helped. Um, you know, eliminate or reduce a lot of the email traffic because you know real well, if we can get you in more in the business of answering the content questions, that's the best. Absolutely. Because the, the software should be that intuitive. But anyway, we could go on for days about how we can improve things <laughs> and how things are going, you know, down the right path, which is great. But I'm curious now because I know you do a lot of traveling for us. And I like getting you in front of um, new users, people have been using for a while. But specifically with that digital user, and they're going to be using digital for the first time, what advice would you give them? You know, I would say, uh, yeah, I, I would say adopt one piece of technology at a time, you know, meaning don't bite off more than you can chew. I mean, there is a, you know, a ton of great tools inside of Connect or inside of any, you know, software that you decide to implement in your classroom. But, you know, take take the time to, you know, adopt one piece. You know, I say, you know, how do you eat, you know, a hippo if you had to? You have to, you know, do it one bite at a time. You can't stuff the whole hippo down your throat. So same thing with learning digital, you know, tools because there's two sides of that coin. You know, you, you teach with it, but your students also learn, you know, from it. So, you know, the better you know it and the more you can assist your students, you know, uh, the better off you're going to be. And, and I mean, we, we all come from the print world, so, you know, we were very adept at, you know, looking at a textbook, reviewing a textbook and saying, okay, look, you know, it's in chapters and then it's in sections. And then you have end of the section reviews, you know, make sure you go through those end of the review questions. You know, so we learned the pedagogy of a textbook extremely well. And whenever students had, you know, questions about how should I study, how should I prepare, you know, we felt very confident. But now that we're moving into the digital space where, you know, quite frankly, it, some of us, you know, just are looking at it for the very first time in the last couple of years, you know, whereas, you know, the Internet is now about six years older than the graduating seniors. So they've grown up with it from day one. So, you know, that would be my first piece of advice. Just adopt one technology at a time and make sure that you master it. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Now, if we turn the page a little bit, so this could be digital or not digital, but this might scare you in terms of a question. But uh, if I were hired as an adjunct at Bunker Hill Community College, and uh, 
Wouldn't that be crazy if I were teaching A and P? Boy, oh boy, poor oh, students. The students would be in for a treat. <laughs> they would be in for a treat for sure. I'm not sure they would learn much about anatomy and physiology, but they'd be in for a treat. We'll assume I'm maybe teaching a business course or something like that, uh, something you know a lot more about. But what advice would you give that new adjunct? You know, I would say, you know, get into digital teaching and learning as quickly as you can, you know, and learn the best practices for those. And what I mean by that is something as simple as running a report. It takes, I always tell my, you know, my adjuncts here at Bunker Hill, anyone can commit to a click. So if you've assigned digital, you know, um, activities for your students, you know, McGraw-Hill has done a great job at tagging things like degree of difficulty of a question, um, you know, the, the figure or the graph, the chart, the table that it was associated with, the learning outcome that it was associated with, the question type itself, you know, so if they're doing really good in the multiple choice, that tells you that, you know, they're guessing a lot, but they're not doing so on another question type that the higher order learning isn't there. You know, it really does help you help your students whenever you are using those digital technologies. You know, so, you know, I would say, you know, again, adopt that one piece of technology, practice it as a student, you know, would use it, find out things like, you know, what are the self-help features that give me in the learning moment assistance, like check my work or go to the textbook or using those little icons in the uh, margins, you know, to be able to identify remediation, you know, those are all the special things that are going to help you help your students, you know, Jerry McGuire, you know, help me help you, you know, you want to be able to do that for your students, just like you did in the print world, you know, whenever you understood the pedagogy of a book. So, you know, I would say adopt that one tool, learn its best practices, you know, learn the pedagogy of that tool so that you can show that student how to take advantage of it the most, because if, if I may, I'm going to give you a quick example. You know, um, there's a lot for adjuncts to learn when they first come on board. And, you know, the self-help features for the students sometimes are things that they overlook because they're too worried about teaching. And the students, you know, I would tell the students, I'd say, hey, you know, um, are you using, you know, the check my work feature? And they're like, what's that? You know, and so they were doing the homework, you know, before with a different instructor for NP1, but when they had me for NP2, you know, they didn't even know that some of those self-help features were available, you know, so, and that really comes from, you know, the instructor themselves doing some of those assignments as a student, learning how to maximize those best practices or those features, you know, that maximize learning so that you can pass that on to your students, just like you did with the pedagogy of the textbook. Oh, I love that. It's so good, and I know we could talk on about the positive, but one question I like to throw out there as a curveball is we all have had things that we thought were going to garner awards. So the question I'm going to ask you about is, like, you must have had a health, uh, strategy or some method that you thought was going to be the best thing ever, and there was going to be the teaching awards, all that stuff as a result, but then it just didn't work out well. Do you have anything like that that you like to share with the audience? Oh, boy, this goes back, you know, maybe a year or two, but, um, you know, you guys put out a really good uh, palette of, you know, questions, question types, activities, and me as an instructor, I got so excited about them and saw the efficacy of all of those that I never, ever, ever thought from, let's say, an instructional designer's perspective, because that's not something that we typically had to do in the print world, is I said, boy, look at all these great activities. And I had these um, 
homework questions, you know, that you know, sequencing and, you know, drag and drop, identify, you know, all of them, composition questions. And I loved all of them. And I thought, you know, man, this is great. You know, I would love to, um, you know, give my students all these activities. But what I didn't think about was exactly how much time it was going to take them to complete those activities. And so it wasn't until you guys came up with this new reporting called Insight. And I was looking at this little graph, and it was only four quadrants. You know, and on the one quadrant, it's, or on the y-axis, it said their score. And then on the x-axis, it said time. And I saw that the students were spending like eight, nine, ten hours on a homework assignment. You know, they were getting high scores. But holy cow, they were so furious, you know, that they were going to the dean behind my back. I mean, they loved the teaching, and they loved the class time, but they were just so overwhelmed with the amount of work, you know, that they were having to do. I mean, they appreciated the activities, don't get me wrong, but it was just so much work, you know, that I didn't take into consideration how much time it would take, you know, a new uh, a student who's new to the content to actually complete those activities. And that just, you know, I, I felt really, really badly that I, you know, didn't take that in, into consideration. So it's one of the things that I tell my instructors, you know, as a best practice, sit down and do these yourself, you know, and see how long it takes you. Because, you know, if you're assigning 20 interactive, you know, that might be enough. But if you assign 40, you know, that's going to be overwhelming. They're going to get lost in the material. And, you know, you, you just defeated the purpose, you know, for those interactive activities. Well, the other thing, too, that I think you did so well there, I always like to say you got to have your ear to the ground or thumb on the pulse. There's a lot of different, you know, analogies or metaphors you could use. But you were listening to the students and um, either directly or indirectly through their feedback of, hey, this is just too much. <laughs> yeah, and, the, the dean. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that was a fun conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we've all been there. That now, would be the category. to the right place, you know. Oh, but yeah. I, I have to piggyback on that just a tiny bit because that insight report had been available for almost nine months before I actually looked at it. And, oh, yeah. of course, you know, the reps had said, hey, Bill, you know, we've got this new reporting feature. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I, I've got like 10 different reports that I'm looking at myself because I've been involved, involved in digital for so long. I didn't take the time to actually see what that report was going to tell me so quickly. And, you know, in retrospect, I wished I would have taken the, you know, the 15 minutes to, you know, you guys send those nice emails that say, you know, hey, new deck feature, you know, reporting feature, you know, take a look. And sometimes we're just so busy as teachers, we just hit delete when it probably would have paid me to take that, you know, 30-second view, you know. So, lesson learned. Oh, yeah. And, Bill, you know, in full disclosure, this has been one of the things that I've been trying to do a better job of, and I know we're, we're getting closer to this. And, actually, this podcast might actually help with that. But I've always said that, you know, if you think of yourself – um, and you're really close to this, and you're a digital native, and you do all the right things. But even in that condition, it's hard for you to go just, like, click around an insight report unless you're really motivated or you have the time. So we right. put a lot of features in our products, and sometimes they can get lost a little bit. Sure. So I have a bit of a challenge here, and occasionally I like to do this on the show, but if you are a current Connect user – and you mm -hmm. are using Connect Insight, um, and you love it, or you have some feedback, 
here's what I want you to do. If you can take me a screenshot of the Insight Report, and we'll do yeah. this for, like, maybe the first three people that, that email in, but if you can take a screenshot of your first Insight Report, whether it's um, real or not, but just like you've actually clicked into the Insight Report, you can just talk to me a little bit about, like, either feedback you want to provide on or maybe just a summary of what you think those reports will do. Here's what I'll do in exchange for that you will get a $25 gift card for sending that screenshot in. Um, so you just have to send that into my email address. That's james.connelly at mheducation. And, again, the first three that do that, we'll make sure to get you a, a gift card. And, you know, who knows, that might actually buy you a, your favorite book or maybe a bunch of coffee if that's what you're into. But a $25 gift card if you do that. And that bill might be our motivation to get you know, more awareness around those inside reports. That's great, Jim. So be kind of cool. Okay, so how about another thing? So now that we've talked about what you know could potentially go wrong, which thank you for sharing that too. That's always a, a <laughs> difficult thing, right, to do. But it's what's humbling. the best? If you're talking about the best teaching strategy you've ever used, what would that be? Oh boy, you know this. This is something that's just come to me recently. Um, you know, I, I I always have students asking me. You know, especially the ones at the bottom of my grade book. As it gets closer to the end of the semester, they're saying, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to pass. I'm not sure if I'm going to get the grade that I want. You know, is there any extra credit that I can do? And, you know, my, you know, it's always, I've always hated that because I feel like if you don't learn it when you're supposed to learn it, then what's the sense of going backwards when you still have to go forwards with new content? So to um, alleviate that, I basically said, I'm going to let you decide if you want extra credit. And you have to oh, give cool. yourself extra credit. You have to give yourself extra credit. And everyone's like, I want to give myself 100%. No, no, no. I will give you five percentage points, you know, onto your final score if you do two things. Number one, the interactive homeworks, you get a 95% or better on every, every single assignment. Because I layer those assignments because of the tagging that you guys have done so well. You know, Bloom's Level 1, Bloom's Level 2, and sometimes Bloom's Level 3 for critical thinking in those interactive homeworks. So they're pretty challenging. And then also they have to get a 95% on the LearnSmart uh, reading assignments. Now, what is that really accomplished by having them do that with a 95%? You know, number one in the LearnSmart, they're going to get that missed questions report. So part of that LearnSmart reading assignment is cleaning out their missed questions report. But I saw that that probably only gave me about an 8% bump. And this was over about a two-year period of time, you know, that I saw those students at the bottom. They only got about an 8% bump. And for some of them, that was enough to pass the course, um, and that was great. But for the rest of them, it wasn't enough. So I added to that assignment for the 5% extra credit that they have to go in and do all of the practice questions in the practice quiz section in SmartBook. So sometimes oh, there cool. might be three, 300 total questions, but get this, when they first hear that, I hear a groan. But then when they know they have a week to go through it and the homework goes through about 80 of those questions, that leaves them with about 220 left, which means that if they do about 30 questions a day, 15 in the morning, 15 in the evening, who can't do 15 questions in the morning and the evening? And they all said, oh, that doesn't sound so bad. I just have to be ready for this disciplined <laughs> enough to be able to do it. And so then they started saying, you know, well, sometimes I would miss it in the morning, 
and then I would do the 30 at night, and I knew it took me a little more time than I wanted. And then other ones would say, well, I missed the 30 on the first day, and I had to do 60 on the second day, and I realized really quickly that I shouldn't get behind like that if I want this extra credit because you said I'm the only one who can give myself extra credit. So the beauty of this, ready, let's put it all into context. Number one, they're going through and doing all of the formative assessments that give me the data that I need from the, rep the reports to identify the learning gaps for, for the whole class and for them individually. Number two, all of the stuff that they struggled with, they're having to review again in the missed questions report. Number three, when they go back through all of the practice quizzes and do those questions, they will then have missed questions yet again which means they have to go back in and clean them out. So they're basically identifying what they don't know three times and showing competency. They have to answer those questions correctly, you know, before they can get their five points extra credit. So, you know, since when have I ever been able to encourage and get students to be able to go through even once and redo the stuff that they didn't know well? Now, if you want the icing on the cake for this, what student can now go to the dean and say, you know, Professor Hoover is completely unfair. He doesn't give us a chance to succeed in this class at all. He's awful, terrible, whenever they know that the formative assessments, which are just labor intensive, they're not, you know, um, summative in nature that either you know it or you don't. They can go back and fix the things as many times as they want to till they get that 95%. It's like a win-win for everyone. So the bottom line was is that in, you know, um, Putting that into uh, application, I started to see that those bottom one-third of the students not only having an 8% jump, they were closer to a 17 or 18-point jump in their scores on their summative assessments, and that's before their 5% um, extra credit. So for the first time, I was able to reach and move the needle for the students that everyone gives up on. You know what I love about that, I mean, besides everything, is the fact that you transfer that accountability and that ownership yeah. of the learning process from you to them. That's exactly it. I tell my students that the best helping hand is at the end of their own wrist. Oh, and for sure. they believe it now. You know, and now they feel empowered because they saw it work. They believe in hard work now. They, they saw that it gave them the scores that they needed even before they ever got the 5%. I've even had some students say, Dr. Hoover, I think you tricked me. And I said, what do you mean tricked you? And they said, well, to be quite honest, I still got the grade that I wanted even without the 5% because I was better prepared for the quizzes and the exams. Oh, it's great. Hey, that's a trick we can all live with, right? That's right. <laughs> all right, well, one last question. I know you've been very generous with your time today, Bill, and I really appreciate that. But when you look at your vision, for teaching anatomy and physiology, what exactly is that? You know, I would like to see even more competency-based, you know, activities, and I would like to see even more, you know, digital being incorporated. You know, we have so much with augmented reality and, you know, the virtual dissections that we have now would even be greater, you know, more great, uh, greatly enhanced if, you know, students were able to put on those glasses or those, um, shield and be able to do the dissections with virtual knives and, you know, um, be able to record all of that, be assessed from that, you know, so that we could have, you know, a better 
better way of showing that our students can actually do what they're supposed to do. You know, it's, it's much more engaging. You know, some of the uh, the beta tests that have been done with that type of, you know, software have, you know, yielded some great results. Um, you know, so I don't know. I mean, we, we it's going to cost money. It's going to take time, but I think we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, I definitely believe in all that as well. I think that the next phase of what we do you know, in, in the development of virtual reality and different things like that. I think we're really on the doorstep of many great things. So we share that vision with you, and, and thank you for sharing that, too. You're welcome, Jim. Thank you so much for uh, having me on today. Well, I want to ask you back on the show, so I know you and I are going to be getting together here in a couple weeks, um, which I'm really looking forward to that. We're going to be doing that in person. So maybe on the next show we can maybe throw out some ideas about how to build student confidence and different things like that that might be, you know, different from what we talked about today or anything that you have on your mind. But publicly, I want to thank you, Bill, for being on the show today. It was great. Yeah, my pleasure, Jim. I look forward to it, and I encourage anyone else who's listening to uh, get together with you and and do the same. You know, we learn a great deal from each other, and, you know, we share our best practices, and the ones who benefit from it the most are the students, and that's what I think McGraw-Hill and us as educators want to accomplish. Yeah, that's our number one goal is to really get to that faster, really improve the student performance, the outcomes, all those things that are really essential to, in our case, to, you know, teaching the next wave of you future nurses or allied health practitioners, or the other one that I think is so amazing is when you have a, a professor that you're going to teach. So you think about like one of your students is going to go into teaching, they're going to follow your path, and you know that's where we really get to scale. So those things are all fun, and um, this has been a fun show today, uh, Bill, and I really thank you for being on with me. You're welcome, Jim. And, Have a great uh, we'll afternoon, forward, my friend. Look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. And uh, so this is Jim Conley I'm signing off here for the Succeed in AMP. We want to hope or wish that you guys have a safe 4th of July. So as Bill and I are recording this today, it's on July 3rd. And we hope that you guys have a nice, safe holiday with your family and friends. And then we'll see you next week here on the Succeed in AMP. And thank you for listening. <laughs>